0: This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network. When you hear about saints and holy people, what's the first image that pops in your mind? My guess is that, like me, you may have a mental picture of someone with a very serious expression on their face, probably with eyes looking upward. Quite correctly, these are people who look to God and faithfully follow His commands, who speak to Him in prayer and and listen with their hearts. But There are those saints and holy people who, while they put God first, they also had a great sense of humor. I remember some of the friars at San Giovanni Rotondo who spoke of Padre Pio making them laugh. That's not something we usually visualize, and he wasn't alone. There were many very holy people with a great sense of humor, The ability to put someone at ease by making them laugh or perhaps helping someone forget their troubles is a blessing and a grace. Today, I want to tell you the story of a saint who became an advisor to popes as well as the common man and and one who often made people laugh. But he had a serious side too. In fact, he was often referred to as the Apostle of Rome or perhaps better as the saint with a joyous heart. Philip Neri was born on the 22nd of July, way back in 1515, and he was always small for his age. That created his nickname, Pippo Buono, or Good Little Phil. His father, Francesco, was a notary as well as from nobility, and was professionally employed by the state. Philip's mother died when he was very young, and his father remarried. His stepmother loved him as her own, as she did his sister's. But I believe she had a a very special place in her heart for little Pippo Buono, and she was very careful to make certain that God had a special place in the children's hearts and minds as well. They were raised in the village of San Giorgio, which was right across the Arno from Florence, And, and one of Philip's great joys was wandering over the beautiful Ponte Vecchio the bridge with all the shops that still attracts throngs of tourists today. But that was another time. It was the fall of 1529, and Philip was in his teens. Being a type of what we might call the son of an aristocrat, Philip was receiving a good education. But perhaps his first glimmer that all was not right with the world was the attitude of his teacher, who was usually light-hearted but now seemed unusually serious and preoccupied. It seemed that the republic was in danger and another of the continuing battles for power was emerging and, and Florence was about to become a victim of a siege." It would not be long before the people living outside the walls of the city would be scurrying to take shelter within the confines of Florence itself as the threatening army approached. Philip and his family would also be forced inside the walls where they would find shelter in a far less comfortable dwelling of multiple families than in the countryside where they lived in a lovely home. Philip sought sanctuary in the city itself, with the hope that their prayers might bring them victory. When he was uh, told that the university would be closed, it appeared that the siege was about to come, and it was afraid that they were afraid that it would be a prolonged siege and a series of battles. So they would not be able to enter the university; it would be closed. In a way. Philip shrugged that off because, in his heart of hearts, he would just as well prefer to be like the holy men who spent their days helping the sick, the hungry, and and those people with little or no hope of brightness in their lives. He had little interest in following his father's footsteps, and in fact, he would prefer a more humanitarian career of helping people in distress. Being a religious was not an option to him. While he had nothing but admiration, love, and respect for them, he had a strong conviction that the religious life was far above his talents and calling. The plight of Florence seemed more critical when word was passed through the streets of Florence that the attacking general had sworn to reduce the city to ashes. Outside the walls of the city, the attacking army was preparing for a long siege, after which the residents would be only too happy to surrender once their supplies within the city were exhausted and food was gone. The siege began and the waiting game started. Philip's father regretted not following in his brother Romolo's footsteps as he had fled to San Germano, where his wealth would be protected and his security assured; there would be no battles there. Well, the days turned to weeks and the weeks into months as the siege continued. With no access from the outside world, the supplies of food and other necessities were running low in Florence, and the invading army was attacking the weakened city with the casualties mounting. Philip was now assigned to help carry the wounded on stretchers, and, and seeing the people suffering had a dramatic effect on him. He was no longer worried about the siege and, and what was to happen to the city itself, he was now concerned with the suffering the people were enduring, particularly those who were wounded in battle. He would spend more time with the wounded and and cared for their dying, praying for their soul as they passed from this life to the next. His own future was now of little concern to himself. He was now concerned with the spiritual needs of the people and their faith. And then in August of 1530, Florence fell to the enemy. The fighting had stopped, and two uncomfortable years passed. Philip was now 17 years old. He was troubled as to the road he should take. So he sought the advice of his favorite teacher, who guessed he was being called to the priesthood. But to Philip, although God was the most important part of his life, he didn't feel that he personally was worthy enough to become a priest. Perhaps he questioned whether he should follow his father's advice and visit his uncle in San Germano, as his father had urged. Well, the good priest, who was his teacher, suggested that he do as his father suggested, and since San Germano was at the foot of the mountain on which perched the monastery of Monte Cassino, that he should go, and and perhaps through the monastery he would find the answers he was seeking." So the solution was reached. Philip would go to stay with his uncle. His father hoped that since the uncle had no heir, perhaps Philip would be the heir apparent. Well, after joining a small group of travelers, Philip finally arrived at San Germano. And perhaps what was really caught Philip's attention was the Monastery of Monte Cassino, perched high on the mountain, as it had been since its founding by St. Benedict uh, a thousand years earlier, a monument to faith. Well, Philip finally reached the home of his uncle where he was welcomed warmly, perhaps too warmly. They were delighted to have someone young and pleasant with them since they had no children of their own. But, perhaps, too, their enthusiasm was a bit smothering to Philip. Philip now had a friend, a priest he had met, and with whom he had become very close, and he would become like Philip's confidant or adviser. It appears that all of Philip's questions and his uncertainty of his path in life may have been a period of heavenly testing, or at least spiritual testing. When we get right down to it, perhaps we all have a period of spiritual testing, and and it often goes unnoticed. Well, even with the kindness of his uncle, as well as the prospect of riches as his possible heir, Philip's real desire was not money or fame, nor position of authority. He would pray for heavenly guidance as to the direction that God wished him to follow. It was time to look within himself, to pray for the wisdom to understand what God was calling him to do. Still, he felt unworthy of the priesthood, but perhaps if he trusted in God, God would lead him to his ultimate destiny, and he would do whatever it was that God had intended him to do. In short, he would be a servant of God, but where? That was the question. Where did God want him to go? Where was he needed most? God would tell him. He would seek out the very heart of the church. But where would he find his answer? Well, almost as in a flesh, or perhaps by divine intervention, it suddenly became very clear to him. He would go to the very heart of the church and find his answer there. And where would that be? Rome, the seat of Peter. No, he would not be a priest, but a hermit. A hermit, not in the usual sense of the word, living alone, shut away from the world, but one living in the world alone, but serving God's people in any manner that was needed. His mind was made up. He told his uncle of his plans, and and though he tried to persuade him, Philip finally recognized and was able to make his uncle recognize that his mind was made up and his uncle wished him well in the future. Well, Philip's journey started and he excitedly reached the outskirts of Rome on Christmas Eve in 1533. He was now 18 years old. One could only imagine the thoughts that passed through his mind as he made his way to St. Peter's Basilica, where he could ask for God's guidance near the very spot where the first Pope had died. Looking around, Rome was not what he had expected. Perhaps in his mind he was picturing that power and beauty that was once Rome, but now the city had been ravaged and was not the powerhouse of prestige and beauty that it had once enjoyed. In Rome, Philip met a man who appeared to be exactly what his own goal was. The man was a hermit living among the people and being of help to those in need. He explained that was his reason for coming. Well, the hermit named Bernardino told him of a place called San Girolamo, a type of church and cloister which was the home of an organization known as the Confraternity of Charity. It was exactly what Philip wanted. However, according to their rules, Philip could only remain there a week. But he was satisfied. He was in Rome, and this was a start. After attending Mass, Philip was greeted by the guest master of the house, Perciano Rosa, who spoke of a wealthy patron of the house who needed a tutor for his sons. He told the man about Philip, and after meeting him, the man wished to hire Philip for the position. Small world, the man had known Philip's father as well as Philip's teacher back in Florence. Well, Philip was given a room and the job of teaching the boys, and the free time would allow him to follow his dream, including fasting, poverty, and and helping those in need while living as a hermit when he wasn't working. His only job requirement was teaching the boys for a few hours each day, Really, he, he had offered himself to God, and God was accepting the offer. Well, this seemed to be an ideal situation for Philip. He was particularly happy with this arrangement. He helped tutor and teach the boys, but after classes, he would take to the streets and seek out those who seemed lonely, despondent, or depressed, and, and would use his humor, as I mentioned earlier, to get their attention. And when they laughed he would segue into conversations about God, and when they were in a good humor from his jokes, he would talk them into going to confession and turning their lives over to God. Philip loved what he was doing, and and the time passed quickly, and the progress was great. Now, it so happened that his old acquaintance from the confraternity home, Perciano Rosa, was now an ordained priest, and their relationship became much closer in the company of God. and, And to continue his work, Philip would go begging on the streets for not only food, but medicine and other items that were desperately needed by the poor and the disadvantaged. And then, when he felt he had accomplished his goal for the day, he would often make his way to the university for lectures. So, all in all, Philip was never idle, and if he did have a few extra moments, well, there was always another of his favorite churches nearby where he would go to pray. After several years, he felt the need to enhance his own education and knowledge to better pursue his goals, So he began to pursue his own studies for perhaps two or three years at the university under the tutelage of the Augustinians. All of this was important to him to be able to teach and spread the word of God better. This was important to him because at this particular point in time, Rome was perhaps one of its lowest levels, and and the morals of the city were also at a low ebb. This troubled Philip that people were ignoring the word of God in order to follow their own pleasures. God was being placed down the list of importance. And to make matters even worse, on this particular occasion, Rome was celebrating a time of carnivals where the spirit of God was not to be seen as the revelers seemed to revert to almost paganistic rituals. This was more than Philip could handle, and he sought sanctuary outside the city, where he could go and pray and be a kept apart from the evils of the day. But then he thought about those in the hospitals who needed God. Their helpers were in the streets celebrating the carnivals, too. So his direction changed, and he made his way through the crowds to the hospital. Even most of the nervous nurses and doctors were gone, and, and he moved quickly into the hospital from patient to patient, aiding them as best he could with offering prayers and, and kind words of encouragement. And then there was a boy, barely clinging to life, and Philip sensed that the boy needed a priest. But when he mentioned the subject, the boy acted strangely. Philip sensed that there were sins that were bothering the boy, and and the boy cried that he could not be forgiven. Philip told him that Satan was making him feel that way, and then suggested that he, Philip, would make an act of contrition, and the boy should silently make a perfect act of contrition along with him. Crying as he did, and, and toward the end the boy's voice became audible as he joined in, I firmly resolve with the help of thy grace to confess my sins. Well, Philip raced throughout the hospital frantically searching for a priest and, and found one whom he took to the boy's bedside. He left them alone, and a few minutes later the priest told Philip he confessed and is at peace. Then the priest said, Why do you not become a priest? Our father Ignatius said that you sent him more penitents and more novices than any other man in Rome. No doubt that was the origin of his description as the apostle of Rome. Anyway, Philip left and headed for the Basilica of San Sebastiano. Even though it was in ruins, it was a place Philip loved, and in his mind He pictured it in all its previous splendor, and his thoughts turned to the Christians in Rome, and he began to pray for their conversion, and asking God to have mercy on them. And as he prayed, Philip began to realize even more that Jesus Christ was the most important person in his life, and he kept repeating, I love thee, Lord, I love thee, but I do not love thee enough. And Then he felt a strange sensation, and he saw a globe of fire more brilliant than that of the sun. He could see it was in front of him. As his eyes were fixed upon the brightness, it moved toward him and seemed to come in contact with him. He prayed, Lord, open my mouth that I may praise thy holy name. And as he opened his mouth, with those words he could feel a brightness pour into him settling in his heart. There was an intense feeling of heat and his heart was beating wildly and he instinctively touched his hand to his heart and he could feel, actually feel something large like a lump on his breast. It moved with every heartbeat and it seemed to increase in volume to the size of his fist. This sensation, this feeling of love for God lasted for hours and when the actual feeling seemed to subside the lump was still there. It was divine love that was filling his heart. And then he prayed, Dear Jesus, teach me your ways so that men may find me meek and forgiving and merciful and wise so that they won't see me at all but only you. Let Philip cease to exist, save to be your mouth and hands and eyes and heart. He had always thought the priesthood was too great an honor for him, and he had told his old friend who had become a priest, Perciano Rosa, "'God needs little servants as well as big ones. I am by nature a little servant.'" Philip was well aware of the responsibilities of the priesthood, but was also acutely aware of the opportunities, and he labored over the thought. He prayed for guidance and, above all, never stopped praying for the opportunity of carrying out God's will. Shortly, a tall figure in a ragged hermit's garb came up to him and inquired if if he were not Philip Neary, and identified himself as a hermit and a priest. He told Philip of a man to whom the Lord had given much, including good looks and money and position, but the man wasted his life on enjoyment and vices and grew even richer, and then once or twice a year he would go to confession and communion as though that were enough, and then back to his evil ways. The man's face was horribly disfigured, and as he spoke he added, just after the man had completed his Easter duty, Christ appeared to him carrying his cross and said, My son, see how thou art treating me. Do not drive me away the man became sorrowful. One misfortune after another plagued him. He was attacked and his face slashed as he crawled about Spain and Italy as a beggar. But then he had been purified by his troubles and he became a priest. The withered old hermit added, I was that man and was inspired to receive communion every day and finally became a priest. Learn well from me that he who once was enmeshed with sin can now be consoled by the blessed spirit that can in a flesh transform the soul. O Philip, learn well. He went on to say, In your priesthood be to sinners as Christ is to me, forgiving. Draw them to the most holy sacrament of the Eucharist. And then the priest blessed Philip and went into his house. Philip stood for a moment then, then went to find Father Rosa and said, Perciano, it is finished. I have decided it is God's will that I become a priest. After the decision was made, Philip withdrew from all his usual activities and devoted himself to his preparation for the priesthood. And as the time of his ordination approached and he was realizing that he too would now be a priest, the more he realized how unworthy he was for such an honor and spent just about every awakening moment studying and preparing for the great day that was to come. His studies were mixed with his prayers, and as the great day approached, his his worries about his worthiness seemed to vanish with complete faith that God would provide him with all the graces needed. And so, on the 23rd of May in 1551 at the age of 36, Philip was ordained a priest. For him and his ordination, he felt that he was being called to be another Christ, to sacrifice himself to the total will of God. As he said his first Mass, he sobbed so severely during his first consecration that he moved the entire congregation to tears. And during the elevation of the host, it's been said that he actually levitated above the ground. His Masses became so profound and so much a repetition of Calvary that he was granted permission to say Mass in private. His confessional became a place of salvation, and he offered many prayers to the Blessed Virgin that she send him her most wounded children, that he might offer God's forgiveness for their transgressions, and that his confessional might be a gateway to heaven. And his prayers were answered. Almost at once, the lines to his confessional became longer and longer. Not only were they the common folk, but soon they encompassed royalty. Other priests, and then even cardinals, were coming to him for absolution. His advice was sought by people in every walk of life, not only in the confessional, but also in person. His room was often so crowded that some sat on the floor, and though many had serious problems, he would first relax them with his humor and then tend to their needs. As with anyone who is doing good, there are detractors, and as often the case, it was in the final analysis, the detractors who were humiliated. Not by him, because he was far too gentle, but by those who saw what was actually happening. He had wished to go to India as a missionary, but was persuaded to continue in Rome after being shown the great work that needed to be done there and the many conversions that were taking place because of Philip. In 1595, Philip Neri was nearing 80 years of age. He was now walking bent, and his face was as white as his beard. Although reluctant to become a priest, he had accomplished much including the founding of an oratory. Several years before his death, he retired as superior in favor of one of his disciples and obtained permission from the Pope to say Mass daily in a small oratory adjoining his room. About a year before his death, he appeared dying. His pulse was almost gone, and his aides heard him call out in a strong, vibrant voice, Ah, my most holy Madonna, my beautiful Madonna, My blessed Madonna. They rushed into the room to his bed, asking to whom he was speaking. He replied simply, Did you not see the mother of God come to visit me and take away all my pains? I do not need you any longer. The Holy Mother has cured me. One of the men mentioned that the mother of God had cured him, but Philip pleaded with them not to quote what he had said and what they had seen. He had always shunned any form of the limelight. He himself knew the hour was approaching when God would relieve him of his earthly duties. On that day, he heard confessions all day long, but before he retired for the night, he said, Last of all, we must die. Around midnight, he suffered a massive hemorrhage, and the fathers of the house were called to his room, and he was asked to give them a partial blessing. Unable to speak, he raised his hand with the sign of the cross and quietly left this world for the next. He was beatified by Pope Paul V in 1615 and canonized a saint in 1622 with two of his friends, Ignatius of Loyola and Francis Xavier, along with St. Isidore and St. Teresa of Avila. Philip Neri was a simple man, and in his simplicity, he provided loving counsel and advice, not to only the person of the street, but to popes as well, and as an example of selfless love who puts God first in all things, and was a teacher, and is a teacher for us all. This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network.